Welcome to Settle the Far. This is Corey Garvey. This is the podcast where I sit down and I talk to people who have made big jumps in their lives. That might be into a new career, a new location, joining a new community. And I talk to them about what their motivation was, how they went through the whole process, and looking back, what they feel like they've learned through everything. You can find Settle the Far on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or my website, podcast.coreygarvey.com. On any of those places, please subscribe, rate, review, give me some feedback, let me know what you think. I want to sort of cater this to the listener, and the more I hear from you, the better I can do that. Today I'm speaking with two good friends of mine, Justin Lynch and Kyle Connors. These are two guys that I grew up with that I've known for my entire life. And just to get into it, Justin Lynch is the head of engineering at Correlation One, a data science platform company where they build technologies that help companies who are looking to sort of win the race for data science talent. And among those, they have a games-based assessment where they have teams come in and they kind of compete in a live competition on college campuses throughout the world. One of these is their um, sort of global data open And this is the world's largest AI programming competition. It lets students from over 120 countries compete for over $250,000 in cash, cash and different prizes and things. Kyle Connors is the VP of product in consumer experience at Zapari, a health insurance company. And this company is a technology company that services health insurance Um, health insurance companies who want to be able to better communicate and better serve their customers. They provide these companies with real-time insight and visibility into the customer journey so that an individual who gets sick or may have something going on in their own life within the healthcare industry um, can get better understanding of of what is possible for them, who, what specialists they might want to see, and real-time communication with the health insurance company when they're making important decisions about their healthcare. Both of them, along with myself, left the finance industry in 2012 to pursue careers in software and technology, and they have done an amazing job building themselves into leaders and managers at really successful companies and understanding what it means to not only be able to work in sort of a new industry, but really change their mindset toward what is expected of a customer. You know, we were in locations where showing up every day, doing the nine to five was necessary. And now I think all three of us look at the world a little bit differently. And right now during the coronavirus, it's clear that a lot of people are realizing that they can work from a different location. They might be able to work remotely for bits of time. And these these are some of the things that we talk about today. Um, The three of us, you know, as I said, we grew up together, we, we sort of left finance together, and what I, I really wanted to get into with them is how they see the world changing based on the coronavirus and based on the way that a lot of things have been forced on us, such as working from home and working remotely, in ways that I myself have been dealing with for years, and I know they have as well. And, and what do we think this is going to be as far as the lasting impact and what we're, we can expect coming out of 2020 and coming out of COVID-19? So, uh, yeah, without further ado, here's the chat. This is my conversation with Kyle Connors and Justin Lynch. All right, Kyle, Justin, thanks for coming on. Happy Easter. Yeah, happy Easter. Thanks for having us. So the first thing I wanted to chat about is the virus, coronavirus. How's it affected our, our jobs? I live in London. We all sort of left... Uh, for tech at almost the same time, like eight years ago. And I think we all have much more flexible 
job situations than we had previously. So for me, this has made me realize or made a lot of other people realize how much they could be flexible with their jobs. Uh, at my company, like we, we are outrageously independent and remote. Everybody is all over the place all the time. Like we're constantly having meetings where people in the same building are not even in the same room because they just assume that other people aren't going to be together. So they're like happy to jump on a Zoom call if it means for a 30 minute meeting, they can avoid 10 minutes of stairs and elevators or something like that. But, and because of that, it's, it, it's led to a lot of continued work where there hasn't really been a big slowdown. I would say for me and a lot of other people, there's actually been more working because we feel like we're always home. We don't have to commute. We can always get on the computer and start working, um, which is probably not a good thing. But then I think other people in my company, so I work these days building more things, engineering stuff more, and analyzing data kind of stuff. But the people who are customer facing, I think they're struggling a little bit. Like some of the people who are, some of the people who have relationships have been working a lot because they've been pushing those relationships a lot. But other people who maybe don't have relationships and they just show up somewhere because they're part of the company and they have a role to do, they can't really do that as easily now. They can't like form new relationships. Um, yes, Kyle, have you, has your company had slowed down or, I mean, not slowed down in terms of like the, the sales or anything, but like, have, has there been a big change in the working cadence for your company? Yeah, so I think it's been a, a bit of an adjustment. So my company's based in New York and in Brooklyn, actually. Um, we have about about 200 people at the company, give or take. Um, before the coronavirus hit, there's I'd say about 10% were working remotely. So a good amount of people down in Atlanta and then, you know, spread across the country in various different places. Um, I, I think for, for so we're a, a, a software company. So for the engineers and the, the product people, I think it's been a smoother transition. So they're used to, you know, being on Slack all day and communicating, you know, over Slack a, a good amount of the time. And you know, jumping on video calls and whatnot. Um, I think the biggest adjustment has been for our sales team. So they're used to going and doing face-to-face -face meetings, um, you know, flying out to our, you know, clients' offices and, you know, doing demos of our software. Um, you know, and we're, we're an enterprise software. So, you know, these typically have longer sales cycles, you know, take a lot of meetings to happen. So, that's been a bit of a transition. Um, I, I think overall the company has adjusted pretty well. It, a couple of things we've been trying to do to, to really improve that is is uh, really encouraging a lot of video calls. So we started out doing really just phone calls and you want to see the other person on the other end. Um, and really having that, you know, face-to-face, -face, you know, interaction has helped a lot. So you can kind of, kind of assess and, and, and get a feel for the reactions of, 
the people that you're talking to. This is so customers we've or... been making a push to... for customers. We've been starting to do that and really internally as well. Yeah. So just even internal meetings that that's helped a lot. How about you? Yeah, guys, so, you know, I'd echo a lot of those same sentiments. Uh, my team is a team a little bit smaller than Kyle's, maybe, uh, you know, 11 of us total with 10% working remotely um, before the crisis. And now, uh, you know, we're lucky enough that a lot of the kind of policies we've adopted a few months prior to the virus have kind of just allowed us to continue business as usual. Uh, but obviously, I can appreciate that it's very different when you're not dealing uh, with something that's so inherently digital. Um, so, you know, we're still doing daily standups on Slack. We're still doing video calls once a week uh, as kind of an entire team. But, you know, other teams, especially those kind of in charge of event operations, you know, we're obviously not having large physical uh, competitions anytime soon. So that that's definitely um, changed significantly. I think uh, everyone on our team, because we're so small and and the startup has been working kind of overtime to kind of deal with that transition, both, uh, you know, from an internal process standpoint, but also from a, uh, you know, opportunity standpoint. I think kind of this, this really across a lot of industries to me um, is going to take what might have been the best product there is, which is, let's call it, you know, an in-person uh workout class or uh, so, some sort of in-person live event, we're going to need to kind of figure out how to uh, create the next best thing for a little bit, a little bit of time. And I think that that's kind of an exciting thing. Do you think it's like there's the fear that this probably uh, situation goes on at least in some way until there's a vaccine? And then there's this idea that, you know, it could I think it's more realistic in people's mind that it could come back and we, we need yeah. to be a little bit prepared. Um, yeah, I mean, you, I don't think how do you think it affects? Yeah. Does any of this stuff get affected long-term like these in-person workout class sort of situations? Are people actually going to figure out how to work out at home and build themselves like a little nook in their, in their apartment so that they can do home workouts with the thought that in the future they'll want to do it at home? I know my wife already has because of this. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that, um, you know, this is going to, this is not going to go away for, for some time. I think, uh, if anything, it probably accelerated what might've already kind of started a long time ago. Right. Like now there's, you know, there's always been these other options, right. You want to tune in to someone, uh, broadcasting something live, like you you could do that before the crisis. Now there aren't other options in many cases. So, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit of a forcing function. Like think about any any other process that required people to all go to some physical location, like the DMV comes up in my mind. Like all of that stuff is going to have to transition, uh, and you know my opinion would be that it should have transitioned a long time ago, uh, a lot of it, but this is kind of a forcing function to me a little bit. What do you think, Knurst? Yeah, so it's actually, <clears throat> when you had asked us to do this uh, 
this podcast, I went and you know did a little research online to look at some uh, some stats, you know, just so I can sound intelligent during this call. Um, You're doing a good job. But, Keep it up, thanks. So I was looking. So 44% of companies globally actually don't allow for remote work at all. That was before this crisis. I think what we're going to see is that that fear of employees not being productive while working remotely is going to be is going to be lifted a little bit. So they'll see that okay, our employees actually did start working from home and they were very productive. Let's you know continue to try this out a little bit more and 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 see where this goes. So I I think it's something that's as as Justin said it, it's a trend that's already been in motion, but now it's going to really start taking, really start taking off and, and starting to become permanent in our lives. So more companies are just going to feel comfortable with it. And really a, a lot of the um, tooling that we see for enabling remote work is going to, you know, continue to, to grow and expand and, you know, hopefully evolve in ways that will, will, really just make the whole experience a, a, a lot better than it is today. Not, not to say that it's bad, but, you know, continue to improve. One, one of the things I've heard is there's these softwares that can track what you're doing on your computer. So people who maybe like companies where they didn't trust that their employees could continue to be useful and like get a lot done They're You know, they don't want people just sitting on Facebook all day. So they're tracking people now. And I guess in certain ways, you know, you had to show up at your office anyways, and maybe you're on a work computer when you get to your office, so you can't use certain websites. But uh, does that feel like a bad, a bad, you know, direction to go in to tell everybody I like, okay, we're gonna be, you can work from home, but you can't, you can't do anything you want on your computer. I yeah, I don't think those like heavy-handed tracking you know, fear-based solutions really do a great job of this. I think, um, you know, especially my team, but really any team I've been a part of, people want to feel that there's trust there and there should be if the team's kind of working properly. I think uh, some of this other stuff around using technology to, um, you know, the, the contact tracing stuff, the collaboration between uh, Apple and Google, I think this is really interesting because they you know, are using technology to track, but it's done in a way that uh, will protect kind of private, um, personal identifiable information, but it's going to basically stay with us and it's going to be a source of um, kind of guidance for what you and your personal life should be doing, right? Like, I, I think it's not to say that we won't return to these you know, in-person events and in going into the store, buying a cup of coffee, whatnot. But what that will allow us to do is just pay attention to our phones. And when they say, hey, you've been potentially uh, around someone who's had this virus, you should, you know, enact some more social distancing in your life for the next few days. You know, I, I think that's going to become a very regular thing, uh, which is, is going to change some stuff. Yeah, that that's interesting. Do you think it'll go beyond just the virus? Like, will people be told, "Hey, you've been, 
you've been around like a lot of people who uh, I, I don't know who are not as I can't even think of it like it's interesting working right? as hard or whatever it is I think you should be careful not to let it right like I think it's it's a it's a powerful thing to know you know even anonymously who someone has been in contact with and who those people have been in contact with that's a really you know powerful piece of information that shouldn't get leveraged for the wrong reasons um so i think you know we need to be careful about what we use it for i think things like trying to you know mitigate the spread of c19 that that's you know something that most of us can all agree makes sense something like uh you know trying to corral uh you know people of, of a mindset that is similar to your own, that's not, right? That, that yeah. would be scary. Yeah, I agree. Um, somewhat similar to this, are you, Kyle, are there industries you think are struggling or like maybe dealing differently with this move to remote work that their business, it's not like an airline where they have no business, but... Um, and we talked about salespeople, so maybe it's that kind of stuff, but that that are in a place where they might see very different um, working cultures inside their company. Because for me in software, you know, this is different, and I think we'll, we'll probably err toward being a little bit more remote now because people are more comfortable personally being at home, and salespeople will go back to flying and having in-person conversations. But... I have a lot of friends and family that work in finance and it's very useful to be near each other and be in the same room. But my understanding and my experience working at a bank is you had to be there every day. Like remote work was not even an option, but now it seems like they've figured out how to be remote. Everybody's working from home as if they're some like big wig hedge fund guy or something and they have their Bloomberg set up and whatever. Uh, do you think there's going to be industries that just totally have a new mindset toward letting people work from home? I do. And I think it goes back to, you know, that larger, larger trend that was already starting to take place before this pandemic hit. So I, I, I really think a, a lot of the, a lot of the tech companies, started this, right? They started the culture of, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to work remotely. It's okay to work from home. Um, as long as you're being productive, you know, that's okay. So a lot of other industries you saw, if they wanted to attract top talent, like say top engineers, they started embracing this culture as well. What I, I think you, you didn't see is that this culture didn't spread to say the other department. So you mentioned finance, right? So I, I think you saw that culture um, start to take shape in, you know, maybe the the IT or engineering department of you know some of these banks, but they didn't transition over to, you know, let's say the banking side or the trading side. I think this has really kind of pushed us forward, probably, you know, 10 years sooner than it would have taken place. But I, I think you will start seeing those other departments becoming more comfortable with this and, you know, the, the cultural shift changing. 
And I really think that's due to the reasons that mentioned before, that people are still being productive at home and you're still able to be efficient at home and, you know, cut down on a lot of the, you know, things that, um, you know, go into waste when you're commuting, right? Like the, just the, the time suck, right? That's the biggest one that it takes, you know, an hour to, to get to work, right? Or yeah. an hour and a half, so three hours a day where you could actually be working and, and, uh, and being more productive. I, the thing that, that comes up to my mind right away when I think about this is like for me as an individual who, who commutes to work and, you know, I pay for the subway to get there. I end up eating lunch, maybe dinner. I, I go to the gym right near my office. Um, there's got to be a lot of jobs which are just going to be unnecessary once this happens, right? Like everybody wakes up, they just can immediately get on their computer, start working. You now, you can see, I mean, I, I think grocery stores are probably killing it right now. Um, a lot of people have lost their jobs and the hope is that people's jobs are going to come back. But if there's fundamental changes in how people are going about life, like there's no there's no way there's going to be the same sort of makeup of jobs and things. Um, yeah. How, Lynch, do you think there's going to be big effects on yeah. the, the makeup of jobs, the makeup of the economy because of this? I do. Um, it's, it's not a hundred percent clear how to address it. Uh, it's nothing that's new. Um, if anything, Corona is again, just accelerating it. I think, uh, 100% there's tons of jobs that uh, already, you know, you can see on the horizon, some form of technology might be, uh, you know, potentially a candidate for replacing those jobs, um, which is a scary prospect, because, uh, you know, what does that mean for these, these folks that, uh, you know, are looking for a purpose and are looking for, uh, you know, something worthwhile to do with their time? And, and, you know, the way I think about it, um, you know, the, the essentially the companies that are displacing these large swaths of people, uh, I, I personally think we're going to need to, you know, in a way, indirectly tax them. Um, and, you know, a potential way to do that would be, you know, let, let's take self-driving cars for as an example, even though that's not maybe right on the horizon it, it is somewhere on the horizon you know let's say you own the the ip required to make a truly self-driving car you know you're that company you own that monopoly you also should be required to come up with some sort of public works project uh and and use kind of these uh people in a novel way uh that gives them purpose that might not be you know, the most economic driven uh, objective, but is still an objective that helps all of us. And unless you can come up with that, unless you can use your skills and technology and superior, um, you know, you know, uh, position in the market to come up with something like that, then you, you can't have the benefits that come with uh, a huge monopoly like that. I think that we should figure out some way to hold uh, these holders of that monopolistic IP in, in some way accountable for figuring out uh, the answer to this difficult problem and ideally in a way that helps all of us. 
Yeah. I mean, if we're going to tax, like, even if, so if we were going to tax them and we didn't force them to actually be the, the person who comes up with the idea, right? Like you create the self-driving cars, but maybe you get taxed so much that now the government can put together some new deal type program to get those truck drivers and cab drivers back to work in some other fashion that's necessary for I society. Just, Is that just what I don't think about? that would materialize in something worthwhile. Like, like part of it is that, you know, I think that, um, you know, these organizations where they're on the cusp of creating that incredible, you know, market, uh, kind of imbalance, like this technology they own outright, like they're the same people that, uh, I think can innovate and create, you know, the real true next best use of people's time yeah but that may possibly i i think that undersells what gets done in the government that's probably not like like if somebody's creating a, a self-driving car software their focus is probably within like machine learning and ai and you know programming whereas uh the questions we're talking about about like economic stability for those people who leave um or or you know just feeling like their life is worthwhile for those people who are no longer uber drivers or whatever uh i don't but, know if the programmer should be figuring that out right no i'm not saying that a programmer should be figuring out. I'm, I'm saying that uh it'll it'll involve technology whatever the solution is but there are plenty of things that technology can't do that we need people to do uh, I think that facilitating and bringing to the you know front of the to-do list are those things, and those companies are in a good position to do it, right? Uh, how many people do you think need uh, you know one-on-one -on -one assistance from another human? Uh, you know, countless, you know, an unbelievable amount. Maybe that's not an economic thing right now to pay someone to give direct assistance to someone else in all shapes and forms, but maybe it could be if you require, uh, you know, you know, if the mechanics kind of make it such that these companies have to uphold that, have to subsidize that. What do you think, Kyle? I mean, basically what we're coming down to is are computers replacing humans, right? Yeah. And are we, are we, are we there yet? I just know, right? I, we're definitely not. So whatever new tech, whatever new technology, you know, comes out, whether it's you know self-driving cars or um, I don't know, there's a million other things, right? New jobs are going to get created, right? Where there's a need for humans to support those, right? Whether it's in you know answering phone calls for support questions or whether it's, you know, supporting their, I don't know, legal issues or w whatever, right? There's, there's going to be new jobs that are, are required to support whatever new technology comes about because the, the human brain is really the most powerful computer there is. And if we're not anywhere near close to replacing that, we're going to need those brains helping to support and solve whatever this new tech is. So it's not really something 
I'm worried about. I, I think the big thing is just going and and making sure that edu- the right education is in place, right? So people are trained to be able to support, right, or enhance whatever, you know, the new technology is in this new era we're in. And I, I think that goes to a theme that's been um, around for a while as well, right? How do we help, you know, educate the, the masses on, on, you know, some of these, you know, hard sciences, right? Or, you know, engineering or whatnot. So, yeah. so we uh, do have the population. Yeah, I, I agree with it for the most part, but I think that there's a few sort of tipping points that are going to happen where with self-driving cars, with, you know, the Amazon has like that walkout technology where you just like go in the grocery store, get what you need, walk out. And there's so many, I, I go to my, like the stores around here now, and if they had that, it would be a lot better because people wouldn't have to wait online. You could have more people yeah. moving through the market. Like you could avoid having to be as close to people. I can't imagine that like the, you know, the, the, the checkout line at Walmart was a, a very healthy place to be over the last month. And there are so many people employed by those, by those jobs. And there's such a motivation to remove those jobs. Like already, I mean, every grocery store that's a legitimate brand chain brand in America, in the UK, no longer has, um, pretty much every single one has checkout, has self checkout and you can just go in and do it yourself. Um, yeah, I'm nervous that the, the speed at which that's going to happen when it rapidly happens is going to be almost similar to what is happening here where it's like the, and I, we don't need to get into a whole conversation about like the future of AI and everything. Maybe we already have, but like the, you know, if we've seen 16 million people have lost their job in the last three weeks, if Walmart announces we're going to change every single one of our checkout lines, we're going to just remove them all. You just walk out with your stuff. Like that's like, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people just out of work immediately. And same with self-driving trucks. Like if, if Mac truck is like, okay, all our trucks are going to be self-driving. I, I don't know how quick that transition can happen. Um, yeah. Right. But if you, sorry, if I'll you go. went back, if you went back, say, uh, I understand it's, it's going to be, much more of a rapid change, but if you went back 20 years ago, right, and you said, all right, well, all these all these retailers, if Amazon just came tomorrow and had the impact that it has over 20 years have, ha- has happened in, you know, a couple of days, we would be shocked and say, all right, well, what are we going to do? Amazon is going to crush the entire country, right? All of these all of these, you know, small retailers are going to go out of business. But unemployment was at its all-time low, right before the before the crisis. So where did where did all those jobs go, right? Yeah. New jobs were created. so. I I don't know if we know exactly what they'll be now, but I'm confident that somehow, some way, there will be a need for, you know, the human mind somewhere to solve problems that computers can. And I think that's a large enough, large enough need that, you know, we won't have 25% unemployment for, 
you know, an extended period of time. Yeah. Um, I guess moving to something a little bit different, do you think that the, how do you think other countries are going to be able to fill in here? Like how does this affect globalization and in tech, especially at startups, this is already a huge thing, right? You, you get some high quality engineer who can give, get a task of a list of tasks and take care of them pretty well. And every startup that I've worked at depends on this. Even it's impossible these days to not be work, to be working in tech and not probably have an Indian counterpart that you work with at some point. Uh, do you think this is going to, do you think this is going to move a lot of things overseas because the company starts to rework the expectations on a role and says, okay, well, this finance role is no longer needs to be in the office. So therefore, why are we paying this Western rate for this work when I'm just getting my answers via email anyways? What do you think, Lynch? Yeah, I think um, it's a good question. Uh, I think that more than anything, uh, the effect will depend on whether the laws stay the way they, they are, right? I think, um, you know, there's lots of laws around, you know, having uh, folks come to the U.S., for instance, to work physically here for your company, right? It, it, you know, there's, there's tons of laws around that. And there's not as many around having um, someone work remotely for your company, but you know, thinking that that would stay constant in a in a world where everyone's working remotely to me is is a question, right? Uh, whether whether that will stay, you know, stay the course. Uh, regardless, I think it's already again a trend that started a while ago. Um, you know, especially what we do. You know, if you can write really great software and communicate and, you know, you have a strong work that work ethic and you, uh, you know, can can work with a team, you know, the, those are all people that I'm looking to hire. Right. Like so it, it's not uh, right now something that we couldn't do before. I think, um, you know, that that might transition into other industries uh, where where, you know, folks who maybe have been you know, who have not been looking at the global market of people that could kind of satisfy their uh, needs from a company, you know, and team standpoint, maybe now they will open up the, um, you know, they will look there as potential way to kind of grow their team. Uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of questions, uh, a lot of unknowns, so it's hard to predict exactly what effect it will have. But uh, in general, I think it's nothing new. It, if anything, again, the common theme is that it's just kind of going to speed us up, uh, whatever we're doing. Yeah, I, I, I think that the law thing is interesting. I didn't think about it that much. But at the same time, the Internet is still a pretty mysterious, anonymous place. And if I have some task I need done... I I wonder how much one I have to like report the employment that was needed in order to get that done, right? Like I need a a 
a uh, a script written to deal with some data set or something like that, like that ends up being what at most let's call it thousands of lines of code that can be packaged into something so small and delivered like encrypted the entire way in such a way that I don't need to tell the government that somebody in you know India did it for me. I can just say I like you know worked really hard this weekend and I wrote it myself. Uh, I guess moving the money might be harder and this is where different yeah. currencies and stuff come in. Yeah, I mean, it's not clear. I think, um, I think regardless, like it's going to force us, you know, to really come together, uh, you know, COVID, I mean, it's going to force us to come together, I think, uh, and think about how we handle the next situation like this. I think, uh, you know, some countries did a really great job. Uh, others, uh, not as great, but regardless, there's a lesson to learn from all of these cases. Um, and like a lot of those lessons I think are going to be around, uh, how we, you know, have no choice, but to all work together to kind of address these things that are, you know, the much more rare than they used to be, you know, hundreds of years ago, but these um, kind of crises that kind of put, you know, catch us all off guard, uh, they cost us dearly in human lives. Like, you know, if anything, we just need to frame it as a, uh, you know, a way for us to kind of think through these areas that we haven't paid enough attention to, um, you know, I don't know, you guys have probably seen that Bill Gates uh, TED talk, yeah, describing this exact situation. Yeah, like uh, years ago or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, I think we need to spend a lot more money and on research of, uh, you know, what other kind of animal-borne viruses might, you know, mutate and and become something that humans need to worry about, yeah. right? Like, we all knew that that's a possibility. I think the only time people are willing to uh, spend money on defensive measures are when, you know, unfortunately there's, uh, some catastrophic event. So we just need to kind of make sure that that's used properly, uh, in this context. Yeah. Did you have something to say, Kyle? I did. And I was on mute when I started saying it, but then we got past the topic. So. Oh no, let's, let's rewind. <laughs> No, I was just going to comment on on your note, uh, Corey, on let's call it the shady dealings of the internet. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's I don't think it's a unsolved problem. It's just you start dealing with this this area of no no kind of system in place, right? And when you're not with, you're not following or, or ha leveraging the support of the system, you put yourself at risk there too, right? Because then yeah. you're at risk of not getting paid. So someone could just steal your money and then not give you the script, right? So that's where you, you know, kind of pay that, that tax to have that system in place to give you that assurance that, you know, you're going to get what you, you know, should get, right? Yeah. And everyone's treated fairly. That's a good point because music was like that, right? Yeah, you know, there was ten years when all 
people were pirating a lot of music. And then at least in America, Spotify came over and I was like, fine, I'll pay for Spotify. Like I'll pay the tax in order to avoid the worry one that I'm going to get arrested or something like that. And two, it had all the music and stuff that I need. So if, if a good system was set up and I know there's certain things like we've used Odesk or something like that in the past. Like if there's a good system set up for that, that you can trust people, uh, it's worth removing the risk. So yeah, that sounds sounds reasonable to me. What has been the um, what do you think is the best benefit of of this whole situation? So for me, I life is pretty similar. Uh, spending more time with my wife than I would have otherwise. I am cooking more because I don't eat out very much at all. Um, talking to my parents and and friends a lot more. Like, I, I can't believe how much more that happens, even though I almost find myself working more also. So it's not like I have a ton more free time, but there's this, uh, I don't think it's like I feel scared and I need people to talk to. It's more like there's such a crazy thing going on. I might as well see what everyone else thinks about it almost. Mm. Is, is there some, I don't know, what, what have you guys noticed that's been the most, or something you think will be the best part of coming out of this? I mean, I, I've definitely uh, similarly, you know, done FaceTimes and, and, and video chats with my friends and family uh, a lot more frequently. Um, I think it definitely added about, you know, an hour and a half of productivity to my day, not having to commute. But, you know, that's also taken away my hour and a half of audible listening that I, you know, so much love. So, you know, pr pretty much indifferent on that one. But I, I know a lot of my team members have expressed that they feel they've gotten, you know, in some cases, two hours added to their day because of the commute. Um, I think that, you know, again, like I'm a technologist, so I think that uh, anything that kind of lets us think really uh, realistically about uh, how we can be you know, changing what we're doing to let technology benefit all of us uh, is, is inevitably a good thing. Uh, while it's still dangerous, it uh, is also powerful. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the personal connections and the you know, excuse to kind of jump on a video chat every other day with your friends and family is something that uh, you know, despite being physically isolated in many cases has brought a lot of happiness to myself. Sure. Anything for you, Kyle? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's really just getting to spend more time with my family. So I know, you know, like much like your, your, your brother, Corey, so live in, the town we grew up in, in, in Garden City, and commute into the city, and you know, door to door, it's about an hour and twenty minutes for me. So you know, you're looking at around three hours a day that I'm wasting commuting. And you know, I have a I have a daughter who's a year and a half, and what that looked like is I would get home just in time to put her to sleep, and that's with my wife with my wife keeping her up for me. So she was exhausted staying up later than she should be. So I get to see her for 
15 minutes getting to put her to sleep. And I mean, that's just not how I like to go through my life is seeing my daughter for 15 minutes a day. Like that may be the status quo, but that just doesn't seem right to me. So being able to see her for, you know, several hours a day has been amazing. So that, that's, that's what I see as the biggest kind of benefit personally so far. Yeah. Before she was born, I remember we talked about, or I heard a lot of people ask you if you were going to get to work from home and like, it was kind of, you know, it's possible for me to work from home, but like as you're moving in your career into, you know, we're, we're all still at a point where we're like gaining more responsibility in your career. There's more of a pressure to be at the office with the younger people who are trying to figure out what's going on. Do you think you'll have more leverage to push, Hey, I'm going to work from home like on Wednesdays or, more consistently? I see it's not even about leverage. I think it's more of more of a personal change because I, I don't think there's ever been for, for anyone who I've worked with, there's ever been a, a issue with it. I think it's more just personally. I always held myself to, okay, you have to be in the office, right? And, you know, be around the team. I think, you know, I'll probably, or, I'm feeling as if I'm going through a change where I'm okay and can still actually do the things I need to do and work with my team the way I need to working remotely. So it's more of a personal change that I'm going through versus something that my employer may be embracing. Yeah. How about you Lynch? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would echo a very similar uh, idea um, I've, I've kind of felt the need to be in the office, um, to kind of manage, you know, cause I'm, cause I'm managing a team. Uh, but you know, without, you know, this, this is basically allowed for a test and the results of the test are that, you know, it's doable, uh, to, to kind of do this remotely. I think, you know, there's still obvious, uh, benefits in some cases of being, right next to people um, that you're working with. But does that need to happen five days a week? I don't think so. Yeah. A lot of companies have a, you know, no meetings on Wednesdays or uh, yeah. no meetings in the mornings kind of thing so that people can focus on their work. And I could see that becoming a lot more consistent. I mean, I yeah, even though we did uh, have a lot of my team in the office uh, five days a week, you know, I do... I, I see it as part of my job to try and, uh, you know, at least stack or bookend meetings to, to kind of free up time for, for folks. Like, you know, I tend to have Mondays be a day where, you know, we try to get as many of our meetings done. Uh, and, and, you know, there's nothing worse than a 30 minute meeting in the middle of the day that kind of forces you to change, uh, you know, context of what you're kind of in the middle of. So I think this, you know, it, we can kind of work within those um, parameters to to come up with a, a, a somewhat flexible schedule, even when we return to normal, to allow for, you know, work that can be done alone, can be done remotely, uh, things that really do benefit from, 
having physical uh, meetings, maybe those all happen uh, on a on a schedule that's a little bit more uh, forgiving. Yeah, I, you know, I it makes me think of the organization of these tasks, and I think just naturally, you know, we're always like chatting about ideas for what might be a good company or business or application or something and being able to, you know, I know Asana and these other things, you could probably tag different tasks with, you know, this is a independent task. It doesn't need to be done with other people. Whereas certain ones you might want to have other people on or, or you might want to take care of in person. Um, we're, I, I want to, I don't want to take too much more time, but I do want to know, like, what do you guys think is the biggest opportunities? Are there, are there investments or investments of your own time or of money or of anything like that? Or maybe what are the, the worst investments? Like, what do you think is just totally, all right, that's not going to work anymore. But, and I think for me, um, you know, all this stuff picks up a lot. We see a lot of, um, a lot of things we talked about are just like accelerating and how they're working. And I am a really, you know, more and more, I think, like I'm at the point now where I'm, I don't own a home. I live in the middle of London in an apartment, but these kind of things, if I'm going to be going to the office two days a week instead of four days a week, like the idea of me living very close and, and really revolving my entire decision of where to live around how quickly I can get there um, doesn't seem mm -hmm. really like the best idea. I, I'd rather take a little bit of a longer commute twice a week. Um, but that's not really, that's just, you know, and I think if a lot of people are thinking like that, it'll change what real estate's worth in different areas. I wonder how huge corporate real estate is going to manage when, you know, my company does not have enough seats in the office in London on Mondays or Fridays when people are there. And we're, we're pretty much operate like a consulting company. So it's either Sunday night or Monday night, people fly to wherever they have to go. And then they come back and Friday it's packed and there's just nowhere to sit. And that is good for us. You know, it's pretty efficient, but on a Wednesday, like the seats aren't nearly all taken because people are just out and about at clients. Um, and if more companies became like that and had these sort of uh, fluid seating arrangements and things like that, like that's going to crush something like, like uh, corporate real estate. I mean, people's personal desks are going to get a lot more time than they ever did before. Um, yeah. But that, that's just a couple ideas there. Kyle, is there anything you think is like a, a real interesting space right now that might be a big, uh, big opportunity? Um, so I think this is going back to what I've been, we've been talking about for a while is just really the SaaS software as a service space. I, I think that's going to continue to explode. Um, I I forget who said it. There's a famous quote of, you know, software is eating the world. And that's still true, right? So there's so much software that can just come in and, and drastically improve our day-to-day -day lives, right? So just even a, a simple example at our, our uh, my job, we started implementing a simple software called Status Hero, which is just a daily stand-up, you know, reminder in Slack. And 
that alone, it, it took 15 minutes to come in and just, you know, add everyone's account. It's completely just changed the way we work. Now everyone has visibility on what everyone's doing for the day and they can follow up with, you know, everyone to see if there's anything they can help with. And it requires no meeting time or, you know, no wasted time. Right. So that was just a game changer. And that's, that's just a simple kind of, I'd call it a utility application, but, you know, across the spectrum, there's just software that's coming into these industries and, and, you know, just making them a lot more efficient. So I've been personally investing in several different SaaS companies, not going to get into them now because I don't want to give advice on the stock market exactly (laughs) or, or, or that. But I, I think just the the um, the space as a whole is going to grow yeah. or continue to grow. Anything you're looking at, Lynch? Um, you know, 100% agree with everything Kyle just said. Uh, I think, you know, I look at my day and you know I'm spending the vast majority of it majority of it uh, inside of Slack or on a video conferencing tool or on github you know making comments or uh, on issues or writing code i think uh you know any anything involved in that software engineers workflow uh is obviously not going anywhere anytime soon i think uh similar kind of productivity SaaS tools and software will continue to move into these other um, industries, as Kyle kind of mentioned. I do think, um, you know, the other potential place where, you know, I don't know if from an investor standpoint, it's going to be easy to kind of pick winners, but from a, uh, I guess, business perspective, I'm glad to see some of these trends in, in, um, you know, medical science and, and, and in, you know, these these startups that uh, you know, I was looking at Y Combinator's uh, kind of expedited application process for for any startup that wanted to kind of try to address the shortage of Corona tests. Uh, I think you're going to see things like that where we're all realizing, hey guys, like science is important. I don't, you know, it's not being talked about on the news. It's the most important thing. Let's. Yeah. You know, let let's start a business uh, trying to improve science and improve medical diagnostics, and uh, you know, you know, like so. I, I'm excited to kind of see some of that. Hopefully, materialize some more money be spent on you know technology in that in that domain. Um, yeah, there's definitely a heightened respect yeah. for science, right? Like, like Thank Anthony you. Fauci is like a household name right now, and the guy is like, you know, the the prototypical little science nerd but he's like a he's like a badass you know um that gets me excited too i mean hopefully it'll start addressing some other things too, bring up climate change and other things that like could use some i think there's been a respect for data too that we haven't seen before where people are are you know they look at the the modeling they know things like the um the R naught or the R zero of like the disease and how much it can affect other people. They like most people, I mean, sure. I don't look at like logarithmic graphs very often, but I have taken 
you know, looked at them at, at times in the past, but I think there's a lot of people who never have seen something like that and they have to get sort of uh, up to date yeah. with it. I think another uh, interesting area to look into, um, you know, it's a space that we're, we're involved in, uh, which is kind of education. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, ways to educate yourself. Uh, you know, you can kind of go the route of self-educating. There's tons of, you know, free tools online, uh, free content. Uh, and then there's kind of some subscription services with, with really great video content. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, without the, um, without the right kind of motivations, those, those things are hard to, you know, and time, it's hard to get those things into people's lives. But with all this time that people are spending now at home, uh, you know, Kyle, for instance, you know, you've got a, a young kid, but you know, as they, as your kids get a little bit older, I'm sure a lot of parents are, uh, thinking, huh, my kid's not at school. I need to kind of take the reins a little bit on making sure that they're continuing to improve their, you know, learning, uh, what, what's out there for me to kind of maybe facilitate some of that stuff, uh, in my own home. I think that might open up a whole kind of business and industry in and of yeah. itself. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm just on that note. I, I saw Khan Academy had released right when this all started, had released a public schedule to keep your children grades like, uh, through kindergarten through, I think 12th grade, even just the daily schedule, really what they should be doing throughout the day. And I had shared that with a, a bunch of my colleagues and they were they were just shocked by this they're like oh this is exactly what i need so that was just a simple like google doc someone posted so if you think that you know could go even a little further yeah i definitely think there's a lot of uh opportunity there yeah there's so many things even at work i mean we talk about like working from home and you're more efficient but even even then you're you're losing something you know you lose the getting lunch with your colleagues getting coffee uh, you lose like the, the, the chatter maybe before a meeting, although that can still happen on video zoom and stuff like that. But there are, there are, it's not like a clean transition, you know, even though we like can still be effective with working and, and some of the stuff that happens at the office and at school and stuff like that is unnecessary. Um, some of it's super necessary and I bet you know, like if, if we were kids at, at school and we no longer were at school, yeah, you can give me the math class and the science class and stuff like that, but you need to then get into art and music and I no longer have the music room, which has all those instruments in it. And how do you get kids to be able to do that at home, be able to play with like paint and clay and stuff like that at home when that stuff is provided by the school? There's so many there's so many things. I mean, hopefully schools will come back and it won't be like kids will be, you know, <laughs> sending in their little clay figurines. Yeah. Um, all right, cool guys. I, yeah, thanks for, thanks for chatting. Um, I, there's so many things we could talk about with this. I, I, I think I'm hoping you'll, what? 
I'm hoping you'll invite us back at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the move to remote work is like the one of the big things I think the the world is is at right now, and I think that's why the podcast. Like, I'm into the podcast because there's so many people who are in legacy industries that uh, you know, and I started out with Wall Street and then. But now, like having left Wall Street and gotten into tech a little, it feels like the options I have are so much greater. You know, it could be like, I, you know, I'm putting together a podcast. I hopefully at some point this can become a bigger piece of my workload. Uh, you know, software, I've been able to move to different places and continue to, to write software and, and like be in that space. Um, so I think these questions are things that I would imagine most people should be thinking about anyways and and hopefully contemplating like okay now that i you know it looks like a lot of industries can work from home or if i had this skill i'd be able to to set up my life in this way that this will sort of spark some creativity in people's minds you guys have any last words justin uh no just you know thank you for for having me on and uh you know definitely a, a shout out for a lot of people, especially, you know, doctors and really anyone doing the best they can, uh, making the best out of, you know, an unfortunate situation. Uh, my heart definitely goes out to all of them. And, you know, let's, let's try to use this. Uh, let's try to find the silver lining in, in something that's not too pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle. Uh, I won't try to top that. That was well said. So, ditto. Agreed. Agreed. All right, cool. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Settle the Far. All the music you hear comes from Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates. You can find Settle the Far on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, where please subscribe, rate, review. Give me a five-star rating. You can also find Settle the Far on podcast.coreygarvey.com, where you can give me feedback and let me know what guests you'd like to hear from. Until next time, stay healthy, stay inside, and stay inspired, people. <laughs>